As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know, remember my, my funny line that kids ask what happens when it rains? And my answer is we get wet. Yeah. I was absolutely correct. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high-quality downloads of each show and a discount at our future online store and access to show hosts on a members-only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't. Do Welcome dinosaurs. to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, Episode 77. I'm your host, Sarah Head, and I'm joined today with my co-hosts, Ken Fader and Jeb Card. And today we're talking about the Indiana Jones films and franchise. Indiana Jones is a well-known figure both in and out of archaeology. He's an icon in pop culture and was the first archaeologist character many people saw on film. The films themselves have been some of the most successful films of their time, and Harrison Ford is admired for this part even among professional archaeological organizations. But what can be said about the films themselves and the impact these films have had on the public's perception of archaeologists and archaeology, both real and fictional? In this episode, we discuss these impacts, pseudo-archaeological traits of the films, and the origins of these traits. We apologize in advance for the technical difficulties that we encountered at the end of this recording. Get ready to think critically. You will see are a staple of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs, no we don't do dinosaurs, no we don't do dinosaurs. Hey everyone and welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast. I am your host Sarah and I am joined today by my co-hosts Ken Fader and Jeb Card. How's it going guys? It is, it's going uh, Sarah, it's, I'm in field school now so I'm, you know, not enough sleep, tick bit and rained on. You do so sound tired. When did you start? When did you start? We started officially last week but uh, how, because of Memorial Day and, you know, they had a couple of days in the lab. So we really were only out in the field starting on Friday of last week. And today we did what we could until the rains came. Have you have you gotten have you I mean, have you are you in the ground or are you doing like surface survey? Or? No, we are in the ground. We are back at a site that we've excavated for the last couple of years. So we're finishing up at this uh, 2800 year old soapstone quarry where we have. Oh, OK. A, unfinished bowls actually in the process of being of having been um quarried out it's really an incredibly cool place and so um, ken at your site did you find any hidden clues to the location of the lost ark of the covenant no but you know what there's a there, there are many there are many mysteries and treasures that are probably under that soapstone quarry it, it kind of vibrates and but, but god god help you as we are excavating it don't open your eyes the last yeah. thing in the world you want to do is open your eyes yeah because you're really screwed yeah your face will melt it's terrible you guys think you're joking and then ken's gonna go back out there tomorrow and there's gonna be all these people out there with their hats and their bull whips and you're gonna be like what the fuck and now you got to put up with them so if if, if gentle listeners if, if you haven't <laughs> guessed uh we have finally uh decided after actually considerable request to cover um 
a minor pop culture figure uh, by the name of yeah by by uh, by the name of Indiana Jones. Yeah, nobody knows who that is. Though. Yeah. So we thought it would be kind of a cool thing to it's it is our, it is I think no question at this point the largest piece of pop culture that not just references archaeology because there's lots of things that reference archaeology right. that defines archaeology in the pop cultural eye. And Absolutely. one of the reasons I think it's really useful is I I think of it sort of like an hourglass because as we're going to talk about and I think this is why this is such a useful lens for this. <coughs> there is a ton of material that uh predates this because almost i mean the whole movie is a retro movie on purpose and mm. and there's so much in there surprisingly that is actually much closer to the real world than you might ex expect a lot of it's not obviously um and then it goes through the movie raiders of lost ark and the other ones but especially raiders of lost ark and then it goes into the bottom of the hourglass and in that center of the hourglass you can watch every single grain go through you can capture pretty much what people think in the pop culture about archaeology before and after with this movie and yeah. the sort of the other ones that surround it. Hey, now, I'm I'm the oldest person here by far. <laughs> Are what you? Year were you Are what you? year were you born, Jeb? Um, I was born in 1974. All right, so you were alive when these movies came out. Yeah, 1981, summer of 81. I was in the field. Oh my god, 2500 year old site, and the movie came out at and this was June. We were inundated by phone calls from newspapers and local TV stations wanting to come out and do a human interest story about real archaeology in which they, they explicitly compared what we were doing to what was in the movie. One of, one of the segments, honest to God, this, when we watched it that night, when the segment opened up, it was a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that, that, that orange glow scene in Egypt with a, it's backlit and the sun is rising and you oh, see yeah. diggers in the foreground. So th this this news segment on a local station opens with that and then the guy, the, the, the reporter says, you know, movies, to, movies this summer are showing how archaeology is done by Hollywood. Let's see how it's done by real archaeologists. And then at the very end of that segment, um, he, he actually did ask people at the dig about the movie and most everybody had seen it. Uh, he's, he, his, his final bit was, well, I asked the, bit, the diggers about that movie, and here's what they said. They said, uh, great, great movie, bad archaeology. And that was the end of the segment. They thought, oh, my God. So in this little way in Connecticut, we had become a part of that story comparing, well, this is what university archaeologists do, and this is what Hollywood says. Um, and it's, it's, this, it's this wonderful synergy that this movie has had for decades now obviously and that's what we want to talk about at yeah. least in part yeah no definitely definitely well and let me ask then let's just let's just start there because it's one of these things now it's it's a sort of standard joke in archaeology and in and in and like media you know there's the uh there's that that e that that email out there or that letter like why you know, Dr. Indiana Jones has been, or Henry Jones in some versions has been, denied tenure because he doesn't publish and just goes around looting things. <laughs> or why why his travel has been denied, blah, 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 blah. No, I and, think my you know, favorite one is in, er, Dr. Jones returns from saving the world again only to find his tenure his tenure has been denied. Right, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's my favorite one so far. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and, and, and there's, leg there's legitimate, and I think we can talk about this, but there's the legitimate criticism that, you know, this idea of dashing in and doing this is, is, is looting, which it is. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But there also has been very much an attitude towards uh, trying to use this. And, you know, very famously, the uh, I think it was the SAA, I think it was, or maybe it was the AIA, I think it was the AIA, gave Harrison Ford a big award. Yeah, it was AIA. I think so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said he, he was on the committee, wasn't he? He was on a committee. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely been, there definitely has been that, and I, and I, I well, did not. Well, to be fair on that one, be... to be fair on that one though, Harrison Ford himself is, he he isn't an archaeologist, but he is very interested in and has been a proponent for archaeology for a long time. So I mean, he's a friend of the field, definitely. So it's not like it's not like we're just like, hey, you used to be indie here, have an award. It's Harrison Ford has done things to sort of earn it. No, it's a little of that. But but also yeah exactly. But what I'm what I'm wondering though is is I've heard many. I mean, first of all, I think we've also all sat in a classroom or 
been in a classroom or taught in a classroom where we're like, oh, it's not like this. It's not <laughs> like this. And I've actually had professors that I like that are very full of enthusiasm who have literally said, oh, it's not like this. Real archaeology is boring. And I'm like, <laughs> for real? Great. For real? Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, and I actually do that in my lecture. And I'm like, it's nothing like this. And I also say it's nothing like CSI either, because that's the other one you hear. Not as much, but you do hear it. And I'm like, well, and then I give them reasons why. Actually, it's not entirely as far, although it's still clearly not the same it's thing. It's more like CSI than it is like Indiana Jones, though. Well, it, but then, of course, CSI, and that gets into a whole other, you Right, know, I mean, not... reality fiction, I, I guess. Right, right. But, Ken, you mentioned, you know, you were, you were practicing archaeology when this movie sure. came out. What was the initial, let's say, first few years of, like, feeling towards, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing for the field what do we do do we not bother yeah i mean it's you know when when harrison ford got that award or whatever from the aia he didn't get it because he was han solo i mean clearly and even as an individual whatever he did for archaeology it was all about this movie is popularizing archaeology i think it, it was there's always been this ambivalence right this well on the one hand it gets people interested in archaeology but of course, the details we don't want to talk about at all because that's not really archaeology. But if it gets, if if those same asses are in the seats of movie theaters because they're entranced by the concept of archaeology, maybe they, those same butts will be in our seats in our classrooms, and we can show them the real deal. So once, yeah. but you got to get them in the classroom in the first place. And so I think that was that was a lot of what I heard. Said, Let, let's ignore the particulars if it gets people through the door. Now yeah. we well, let's let's exploit that. Let's take advantage of that. But yeah. my God, if if once you got the, those butts in your seats in the classroom and you said that Indiana Jones, that's exciting, but archaeology is really boring. Well, that that was that's not a smart move. No. And you've you've lost you've lost whatever you've uh, uh, whatever you've gained by getting those butts in the seats. You've lost. And the that. film is still out there. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so that that's that's how I felt. Colleagues were chagrined. And to buy the the particulars of it, but most people said, "Well, let's 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 take advantage of it by getting people to to, to listen to us, to to take yeah. our our classes, to buy our books, where we're going to now tell them we're going to save their archaeological souls, hallelujah, and give them real archaeology." <laughs> and see, that sounds so different than how I feel like a lot of modern tech is embraced today. Uh, the, 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 that a movie was so quickly embraced by the archaeolo- archaeological community so that they could be like, yeah, let's use this as a way to promote ourselves. And now today, you know, there's a lot of kickback as far as like, well, I mean, the Pokemon Go thing that went out, that could have really been used for museums and stuff, but we got a lot of feedback on that. Um, so I think that's interesting how fast that was accepted and, 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 and integrated into raising awareness and bringing interest into the field. Here's the deal, that even back in 1981 and 1982, if you were an archaeology prof and you walked into an archaeology classroom with Indiana Jones's hat, all those <laughs> students knew you were a douchebag, okay? Yeah. You, they, didn't think, they didn't think, oh my God, yeah. it's just like, it, no, come on. They didn't yeah. paint, was, they didn't paint yeah. I love you and marry me on their eyelids so that you'd see it when they blinked? Yeah, Very here's, infrequently. Here's, here's <laughs> the ways not to use this. <clears throat> Where... Wear one of those hats. Oh my God, Riley! Wear a le- wear a leather jacket. Uh, put that damn font on your lectures or on your publications, because <laughs> you see so many people do yes. that. And I'm like, yeah. please what note, the hell? please note that Jeb did not say, "Don't take a whip out with you." Are, are we pro? Are we pro whip, Jeb? I've never seen anybody do that. I've never seen anybody do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. Actually, um, um, my my field, uh, not my field, my um lab director when i was in uh, my undergrad she had a live cutout of harrison ford uh dressed up as uh indiana jones and she had an actual indiana jones fedora and she had an actual like like you know as close to a, the original as you can get without actually going and sealing it but yeah she had a hat and a whip and she said that when she had graduated when she had graduated that that her her uh, mentor had given those to her when she graduated so it was kind of like this funny little thing going on down the line. But yeah, we anytime you were in the lab, you had a giant Harrison Ford cutout staring at you doing all of your artifact sorting. Sure. Well, I, and I'll say this. I mean, now now we have this generational thing. So Ken, you were talking about what it was like to be an archaeologist and be impacted by this. Mm. But you you fast forward and you have a lot of people who are, you know, my age 
that um, this was what got them into the field. Now, I would not say that about myself. Because yeah, I think Jones I didn't, didn't get me into the field. Yeah, I didn't see the. I saw the movies as a kid. I saw some of them in the theater. Uh, I liked them as a kid. They were not like my, oh my God. But I liked a lot of things, like pop culture things, that had clearly been at least somewhat impacted by them. And I wasn't even entirely 100% aware of that until later. So I'm sure there's an impact. But I know archaeologists who are like, no, no, that's why I got in this. Is I understand it's completely different. And they, you know, especially young, early on, or even still talk about like, oh, I remember going my my first Maya site and blah 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 blah, you know, and, and sort of feeling that we're even wanting to like do a thing, you know, or make a pose or something. Mm-hmm. And I, and I've seen that, I've seen that, and so there there definitely has been an impact. I'm not saying that's why it's so bloody hard to get a job because too many damn people went to grad school or anything. Um, but because that's all that's all around. Um, but. No, it's it's definitely had that impact. And I think one – now, first of all, for many of our listeners and especially I think our younger ones, I don't think they quite understand how bloody big this movie was. Like movies that are all action, all special effects, all stunts, although not a lot of stunts these days, all that, they are now very common. They were not before this movie. Well, and I don't all. think – Unless they are a film aficionado, they probably don't understand that the first movie, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, was filmed at a B budget or at a B movie level because that's what the director and the oh, yeah. writer thought I mean, they, they were making. They, right. they, well, they had, purposefully sat down to make what they thought was going to be a uh, B movie, according they, to your they, thing. They made it. They made it style wise. I don't know yeah. how much budget they had. No, no, no. They, no, they tripled they their budget. Like yeah, when they, they were filming, they yeah, actually budget. spent three times what they had budgeted for. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing about this movie is it was extremely well received. I mean, it did massive box office. It was. This is a, something I tell people, and they don't believe me. It was nominated for the best picture of the year. Yeah. Like it was a real. great movie. I mean, it still yeah. is a solid movie. Oh no, I just I just watched it about a month ago. I had not watched it for years i watched about a month ago with uh family and friends and their 10 year old son who's been raised like his favorite movies are lord of the rings and the hobbit and i don't like the new hobbit movies they're pretty much just video game characters hitting each other for like hours um and he's like all action all the time he wants that i was his and his father loves this movie and i was like oh is he kind of well please don't let him be bored by his way he was not bored at all he's like that's really cool he did we did have to say to her a couple of times, like, you know, these people are actually doing this. Like, that dude's actually being dragged by a truck. It's not CGI. It's not Legolas. You understand that. No, I, I watched the movie um, Sunday, actually, to prepare for this wonderful broadcast that we do. Um, and I was, I was impressed at how fast the movie went. Like, I, I remember there being more downtime in the movie, and then we're watching it, and it's like, no, no it's there's like, it really opens fast. with the, the fast scene, and then you get that real quick thing of him in, a, in the classroom, and then Brody comes in and says, hey, I got two dudes who want to talk to you, and it just takes off from there, and it's just action, and things blowing up, and people getting dragged behind things. Not well, forward. and then and then the other, I mean, there's action, there are also some quieter scenes. There but, are, but they're purposeful. But, well, yeah, and almost all of them and this i think gets to the point almost all of them are filled with mysticism almost all of them are filled with portent and and mysticism as like you know uh weather that reacts to as they get closer to basically this as they put in the movie the radio with which you can use to talk to god right and and so that gets to how this movie got made um spielberg and lucas were of course obviously massive b-movie serial fans from the 1930s and 40s because look what Lucas had made four years earlier, Star Wars, which was another very purposeful, and he also made um, American Graffiti. So these are very purposeful retro movies. Right. He is, you know, everything we do now in our pop culture is nostalgia. They basically were some of the first people to do that. And very famously. Now, was this their um, first collaboration? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were friends, but it was their first like official one. So in, in 1977 or 78, I think in 78, um, Lucas and Spielberg are actually vacationing with families at, in Hawaii, and Spielberg had wanted to make a James Bond movie, but they wouldn't give it to him in part because he wasn't British, and he really wanted. And he was he was the new hotness because of Jaws and all these other things, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do uh, a James Bond movie. And Lucas, who majored in anthropology uh, as an undergrad, which is why he keeps doing this, um, turns to him and goes, "I have a better idea," 
And then they basically start to cook up um, this character. And it's amazing. Uh, I, I ran into a couple of years ago. There's a piece in The New Yorker called Spitballing Indie by Patrick Radin Keith from March 25th, 2013. We'll link to this. It basically, though, is an article about how the transcript the or the recordings of over four days, the writer's team of George Lucas, Steven Spielberg and Larry Kasdan, which worked on he worked on a ton of the big famous hits of this of these days, Star Wars and all these things, how they sat down and it is a word for a transcript of them creating the character and creating the idea. And it's not always the same. And this is unsurprising. Creative things work this way. But what's fascinating is you can actually boil down the character into one line from the first movie. And that one line also gets to pretty much largely what this show that we do and a lot of things that we work on is is about and they describe him in the movie and this is this really does fit through the thing as a professor of archaeology expert in the occult and an obtainer of rare antiquities i would argue that that is pretty much what people think archaeologists are mm-hmm. and what they do right uh, yeah and i think people i think one of the issues that we run into every now and then is people do think that we take the artifacts home or we just vanish with well, places i can i can i can tell you that right now um as as we i did uh i did an archie archie 365 um uh i forget when we did it on the first significant historical text from the classic maya period in, in el salvador the first hieroglyphic text of any real import uh this flask from tazamal that i published with mark zander from tulane university in december and it's a i think it's a big deal and i was recently talking with a not a professional archaeologist, but somebody very interested in archaeology and hieroglyphs in El Salvador, as via email, and uh, he thought it was here. He thought you had he it. Thought, he thought I had it, and I think partly because one of the news articles down there uh, had said, you know, American American uh, archaeologist, blah 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 blah, is the headline, and they talked about it. But I mean, it's never left the museum, as far as I'm aware. It's on display there. Certainly, certainly never come here. I don't think a lot of people understand that how that works, though. I think that's just what people think. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. Because they don't talk about that. We don't talk about where specific artifacts are stored or where you can go see them very often. You know, the Smithsonian does a good job of um, displaying what the, the Smithsonian does a good job of explaining to people what they can come and see but not necessarily telling you where it is that you can go find it. Because apparently Harrison Ford's hat and jacket from the movies are on display at the Smithsonian, yes. but the Smithsonian yeah, is like a hundred and some odd buildings scattered throughout the country. So yeah, well, apparently, well, no, I think they're in that Americana gallery. They must be because they're in the where same place. Where they have like Kermit where, the Frog yeah, exactly. and like Archie Bunchers, Bunchers couch and yeah, yeah. Um, so the other, the other issue there though, about this, this notion that the, the past is a spooky place. There's spooky shit, and archaeologists are the ones who go down into that past and somehow release this spooky shit. But that's mm-hmm. that's not new to Indiana Jones. That this has a long and ignoble history. Where yeah. does that where does that start, Jeb? Where does it where do people start saying, oh my God, there's there's evil, powerful occult <clears throat> stuff in antiquity, and it's better left in the ground, but archaeologists, they're gonna disturb that. And they're going to well, release that into the modern world. Well, the better left. Okay, okay, I will answer that when we come back. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't we go to break, and when we come back, we will unearth the answers to those questions. Oh wow, great! Hey, podcast fans, check out the Arc Three Sixty Five podcast at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash Arc Three Sixty Five. That's A R C H three six five for your daily dose of archaeology. Each episode is less than fifteen minutes long, and we have some great guests recording about awesome archaeology. We also try to throw in some definitions and basic archaeological information. So check out the three hundred sixty five days of archaeology podcast only in two thousand seventeen at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash Arc Three Sixty Five today. Find us also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music by typing ARC365 into the search. Now back to the show. And we are back, and we are still talking about the Indiana Jones movies, but Ken asked a very compelling question before we went to break as a cliffhanger, if you would. Exactly. So, yeah, and so the question that I asked, of course, was, you know, people watched Raiders of the Lost Ark and they thought, my God, this is brand new. What a, what a new conceptualization of what archaeology is and that nothing could be farther from the truth. 
So yeah. I turned to Jeb and said, "What's what is this? The, the character Indiana Jones, the movie. Where does that come from?" Well, the the question you asked before, the the oh, character. Right. We'll, we'll talk about the character also. But the question you asked before, there's this whole idea of like spooky shit in the ground that you should leave alone. Right, right. That and it's powerful, but but then people dig it up and horrible things happen. You really shouldn't touch it. So I don't think that all happens at once. The idea, I, I, I mean, and again, I might have mentioned once or twice that I've written a book called Spooky Archaeology, Myth and the Science of the Past. Um, hey, that's Jeb. coming out soon. Hey, Jeb. Did you yeah. write a book? I did. <laughs> so so I, I might have mentioned this. And um, the uh, I, I argue that's inherent to archaeology, but uh, for reasons of the structure of time and um, how we view the past and how we use the past, that there is the notion of antiquity. Antiquity is just all old things outside of kind of living memory, and that is often been associated with mythic origins, which often has a supernatural overtone. In other words, things of antiquity are things that are bigger than us and usually supernatural. So I think the concept starts there. I don't think starts. I think it's just is inherent. Like that's just how mm -hmm. people see things unless well, and we've, we've they talked adopt about that. a scientific materials perspective that says, oh, no, this is people just like us. Well, we've talked about that um, in some of the past episodes we've done where we've discussed um, H.P. Lovecraft and um, crap, the other people who wrote back in the past. Anyway, any, any number. King, King, King Tut's Curse. We talked well, about yeah, well, and, and, and that kind of stuff. Right. So, no, exactly. That informs all of this. So right, right, if right. I had to argue at the first archaeologist that maybe was looking for spooky shit from the past or at least or that sort of thing, we've said in the past that possibly the earliest archaeologist or earliest Egyptologist is Kemwaset, the um, the eldest son of uh, Ramses II, who's actually one of the inspirations for the mummy. He went and he restored ancient tombs that had ancient magical writings, the Book of the Dead in them. You could argue him. I think a better argument for something specifically like this is I want to say he's the last, I want to say Neo Assyrian. It could be, I think he's Neo Babylonian, actually. Uh, Narbonitis in the Iron right. Age. And he is sometimes in textbooks called the world's first archaeologist. Right. Um, and he went around and collected statues and altars to various gods because gods were considered patrons of cities and powerful. And he took them and also the, the people that served them if they were still kind of like from living, but also archaeological, and gathered them all in one place. And he's been sometimes called the person that had the world's first museum and the first archaeologist. I always like to point out he was the last, I want to say it's Neo-Babylonian, I have to double check, if I maybe I'll double check it while we're doing this. Um, he was the last Neo-Babylonian king, which is why you uh, don't give archaeologists real power over a state. Yeah, Neo-Babylonian, 556-2539 BC. Awesome dude, I've seen a steal in the British Museum, he, he, his, he lost. Um, but you could argue it starts there. His daughter's often credited with being the one who, like, Curated all the of, museum. Yeah, the world's yeah. first museum curator. Exactly. Right. So, so there's, there's a really cool tablet where it talks about the fact that this this ancient that he encounters this it's a sand dune or something, and that they actually dig out the remains of these. It's at Larsa, I believe. It's somewhere there's this 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 bits and pieces of a translation of what sounds like yeah he, they're digging stuff up and bringing it all home with them, and it's these idols. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. So now, yeah. um, I, now I want an Indiana Jones movie now, where Indy goes and finds the first museum, and no, that by all of the gods. Right, that would be a fantastic movie. That would be, however, as I suspect, it might. Well, we'll come back to why it may it may or may not be popular. Now, Ken, you asked about the oh, but you you shouldn't touch it. Right. And I think there's a couple of different places. One, I think they do a really good job. You made the joke about not looking. And of course, that comes to some, you know, they, they very famously at the end of the movie is like, don't right. look, Marion. The, the, you know, that gets to um, Lot and Lot's wife. Oh, and the sure. destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where you're not supposed to look back, which sounds very Greek, to say the least, with, with mm -hmm. Orpheus and all of that. Um, or it's, it's a concept, though. The whole, whole window, eyes is the windows of the soul. And then also the fact that they go for the Ark of the Covenant, and there's that, that whole scene where even if you're a righteous follower, um, you're not supposed to touch with your bare hands the Ark of the Covenant right. because it is of God and is just simply too powerful. And you don't look upon... So if you have things from the past be of sacred nature, 
that inherently makes them dangerous. So, right. so first of all, there's that. But that said, the narrative that keeps happening again and again in these movies, because every single one of them, there's a there's a thing in the ground that both good and bad people want because it's so powerful. And the good people kind of sort of say, well, we only want it because the bad people want it, although that's not always clear. The bad people want it. They go get it. It, it ends up being their undoing in every single case. They right. touch it, and it murders them. Mm -hmm. And then the good people are like, you know what? I'm just going to put that away. Right, put that in the put that in the box and hide. Put that it in, in the put in the, in the in the same warehouse where they keep the microchips and the X Files, um, <laughs> which which of course was a beautiful callback to that. But I I have to say that feels like Frankenstein. That that feels like the Frankenstein narrative of the 19th century, which of course mm -hmm. most of our science okay not all of our science fiction stories are retellings of Frankenstein. A hell of a lot of them are retellings of Frankenstein. The uh, whole playing oh, God and it all going wrong. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, this new science gives you new power. This will not end well, and <laughs> you really shouldn't have done it. And, you know, whether it's cloning dinosaurs or creating nuclear power or, or going into out, you know, I mean, there's, there's any number of Frankenstein creating AI, uh, creating computers. It's like, oh, your technology destroyed you because you tried to create and to handle the stuff of God or right, the stuff yeah. of the gods. Well, that's the same story in the Indiana Jones movies. So, right. yeah, I think it comes from there. Now, the idea of cursed artifacts, we've talked about this before. While I'm sure people could point at cursed objects and there are objects with magical powers and curses, the idea of archaeologists digging up and bringing back things with curses on them really starts in the later 19th century. There may be some exceptions I'm not thinking of, but it's a later Victorian thing, and I've mentioned before Roger Luckhurst's book on the mummy's curse that really dives deep into, into that topic. But that's the thing, it was a decades-old topic. Right. It was a decades-old topic when King Tut was excavated, <laughs> right. which we talked about. So it's yeah. not even new there. But what's cool, though, though, is we're talking about archaeologists should not be messing, or scientists should not be messing with the stuff of the gods, and in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is the god of the Bible. But oh, in, yeah. the, in Crystal Skull, those gods are, well, not exactly extraterrestrial aliens. They're what? Interdimensional aliens with elongated skulls. But yeah. still, that's the god stuff. Don't screw with it. Oh, yeah. The, the, like Kate Blanchett. And it, disintegrated or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's not even that she's evil. She just wants to know. I mean, that's kind of the scary theme at the end of that one is all she wants is to know and yeah. knowledge disintegrates her yeah but it, it falls back on that whole like we that falls back on that whole trope of you know we are not capable of handling the knowledge of everything and it does feed back into some of the ancient alien stuff that we've talked about where it's like well the reason why we lost that technology is because we just can't we can't handle it humans are not capable of understanding or handling it and it's that whole but that does kind of fall back on a religious argument that whole miracle of faith thing which plays into both the first indiana jones movie and the indiana jones and the last crusade you know why does this shit work miracle of faith you know don't ask questions it's god now i'm gonna say this right now and this will probably make me very unpopular with a lot of our listeners i'm sure this whatever it is will not be your death <laughs> yeah the well no uh, i mean i think it's i think it's I, there's a lot of people who like the third one of these as their favorite one and i can see why there's fun interaction but a lot I think the first one, head and tails above all the others. It's a very, very good movie. My second favorite is the last one. Now, like the Crystal Skulls. I don't think it's a good Crystal Skulls. I don't think it's a good, good movie. It's a very interesting movie. Now, I'll talk about another reason why it's interesting, I think, later as we get further into this. But what you all just said about the themes in it, it's a vaguely Lovecraftian movie. Like, they are vaguely. aliens from, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm being cautious. It's pretty damn Lovecraftian. It's like, right. they are aliens that are from these spaces in between. Right. They, yeah, knowledge will destroy you. And that whole sequence in the middle where it's like, oh, yeah, what did a character do? Well, he looked at an ancient artifact, then he went mad, and they put him in an insane asylum, and he kept writing in every language known to man on the walls. And I'm just like, I'll watch a whole movie of this shit. Because <laughs> this is actually really good, and and then it gets dumb again. No, no, people slam that movie, and 
I think what happened with the whole, like, oh, it's the worst Indiana Jones movie ever. By the way, there's a, another one getting ready to come out with Chris Pratt, so... Well, no, that apparently is not happening. Really? Because I just they, checked the internet. No, they, they straight up said, because everybody was like, oh, my God, Chris Pratt. And he could he could very clearly play that He'd role. He's perfect. He's, yeah, because he's, you know, he's the new Han Solo. He well, he's is. not, but he's, he's the Han Solo with the file numbers he's shaved Star-Lord. off. Star-Lord, come on. Yeah, but no... Um, they said that, and then there was an announcement a few months ago. It's like, no, we will not be replacing Harrison Ford. Oh, no, they're they, not replacing they, him. They're having him in the movie with Harrison I Ford. I will believe it when I Well, I will, too. They, I don't see. even think they have a script I, yet. So I think that's vapor. I think that's vaporware. Um, I'm going so I'm I'm to cling to this hope. But anyway, my point, <laughs> my point before we got off track was, um, yeah. no, the, the, the last movie, I think the reason why so many people dislike it is because – the whole generational thing that you were talking about earlier, Jeb, like so many of us grew up on Indiana Jones because it didn't inspire me to become an archaeologist, but I remember watching those movies like you would not believe. And then we all got super excited because I was on a crew when Crystal Skulls dropped and we all of us, we went out one night and we took our hats and we took our trowels and we wore our work boots. I mean, we dressed in field clothes to go watch this movie because we were like, yeah. We're representing, and I don't think any of us walked out of there happy about it. And I think that it was just like our expectations were too high. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. I think there's another part though, and I and I, and I alluded to this earlier. Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Peter. Well, there. Okay, that I didn't allude to, but that's bloody true. Uh, if anybody had to find a weak link in that movie, Shia LaBeouf. That's a fairly obvious one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Peter Hiscock. Uh, who's a, a, a very awesome Australian archaeologist. We recently talked him into going to Vancouver for the Cypher American Archaeology Means and being in our, our session, uh, Ken was in as well, uh, on new and alternative religious movements in archaeology. And he, he's written a very cool paper uh, called Cinema. This is in um, the journal Newman, uh, N-U-M-E-N. It's, a, it's about religion and religious studies um, from 2012. Cinema, they had a whole issue about pseudo-archaeology and alternative archaeology and all that. They had an entire issue about it. It's really good. Cinema, supernatural archaeology, and the hidden human past. And his abstract says, basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but close analysis of modern movies reveals, yet archaeologists and historians have failed to understand. And I would say most of them have, not me at this point. I fist-pumped the air when I read this article because it was the first academic writing I had ever read that agreed with how I saw uh, pop culture and archaeology, that the dominant representation of archaeological research and ancient human culture in mainstream cinema involves explorations of supernatural objects and events. Cinematic archaeology tends to be mythic rather than realistic in focus. Movies frequently present images of the human past that are pseudo-archaeological in the sense that these films tell the same stories as alternative archaeology even though they may not be making any explicit claim to truthfulness. And I'm not going to get further into that. But at his paper, which was very well received, one, he was a really good speaker, and two, it was a really good paper, he pointed out something I had never noticed and is brilliant. If you put, so the four movies, in order of them being released, are Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, Crystal Skulls. But if you put them in the order that they supposedly take place, they are Temple of Doom, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Lost Crusade, Crystal Skulls, because Temple of Doom is sort of a prequel. If you put them in that order, the first one is on, uh, they, what do they call them in the movie? The something, stone, Shankara stones, but they're, they're lingam stones. They are uh, uh, Shiva lingam. They are, they are a, a abstract representation of Shiva. And some have tried to argue that they are, actually is phallus, and that that's, get, gets complicated. I am not an expert on that. But that is not Judeo-Christian, and it is, uh, it's even though it's it's a very racist movie. I'm just going to say that it's very obviously. Uh, it treats um, Hindu religion very much just almost like Satanism with like heart ripping, which is makes no sense, and other things. And like, oh look, we're eating monkey, you know, blah 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 blah. I didn't very even painful. realize that was supposed to be the Hindu religion that was being represented. Yeah, it's very well. They're the Tuggies. They are worshippers of Kali. Right. And I just never made the connection because it was so out there. Yeah, no, there's the one guy who, like, hides and tries to kill him with his scarf. That is actually what tug, Tuggies uh, were prosecuted for doing um, and famous for doing. He points out, well, that's kind of pagan. It's not. It's Hindu, but, like, it's treated as sort of from a Judeo-Christian perspective as pagan. All right. The next movie 
is about an Old Testament artifact. And it's very much the wrath of God, too. It's like, oh, you touched my artifact, all y'all get killed with lightning. The next movie is Christian. It's the Holy Grail. And it's about redemption and immortality and healing. And the last one is Ancient Aliens. Mm -hmm. You kind of have a progression. Right, yeah, absolutely. He points out, he points out, his words, you go from pagan to Old Testament to New Testament to technology. That's really interesting. And I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but it's really interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's, Peter, that's Peter Hiscock who, who points that out. But to answer your question or to talk about, like, why I think people hated the, the last one, there were real problems with that movie. Oh, but I mean, I'm, I'm not going to. Right. Well, I would say there's more problems with that one. But <laughs> the two that you mean people you didn't, like the you most. You didn't like him surfing through an atomic blast inside of a lead lines refrigerator and surviving? That was the best uh, part. I'll say this, I'll say this, that's no worse than Tony Stark being thrown through the air in a tin can in the first Iron Man movie, but nobody complains about that. Because he's Iron uh, Man, duh. Yeah, you know what, but you know what, the physics, the physics, kind of the same. Um, but uh, still squished inside his little armor suit. But um, the, the thing I think is, everybody talks about the first one being the best. It is, I think it just simply is. Yeah. And everybody likes the third one. I think it's intriguing, though, that people don't like much the second one. They say it's too dark, blah, blah, and they hate the last one. And the ones, the two ones they like are Judeo-Christian and the ones they don't aren't. Now, I'm not saying that's purposeful, but... You could also make the argument that the two that they like are odd-numbered and the, the two that they don't are even. And then you're back on the Star Trek <laughs> argument of all of the, what is it, that the odd movies are awful, but the even numbers are good, so... Un- unless, they're, unless they're produced by J.J. Abrams, in which case they're automatically bad. <laughs> you know bad. what? No, those are awesome they're amazing. Shush. Well, I heard you, Ken. I heard that. When I when I saw Crystal Skull in the theater, I didn't like it at all. But then when I, I watched it again in preparation for this, and you know, once I embraced that that reality, I thought, you know what, this is pretty cool because it's every goddamn tra- pseudo archaeological trope. It, they're checking the boxes, and it, it, it got actually fun seeing them check all those boxes and somehow managed to put it all together. Uh, And so I actually appreciated it for what it ultimately was. Yeah. Let's, let's take our, our last break. And when we come back, I want to expand on that a little because one of the things that people, uh, I think uh, talk about these movies, like, Oh, they just make it up in Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no. I want to talk about some specifics. And then I want to talk about some general concepts where, no, this is reflected. They, they did their research, and that's another thing that, for the mission of this show, I think we can talk about. So let's, sure. let's, let's hit a couple of things when we come back. Interested in archaeology? Want to hear from experts in the field about the latest discoveries and interpretations? Check out the Archaeology Show every other Saturday and let hosts Chris Webster and April Camp Whitaker take you deeper into the story. Check out the Archaeology Show at www.archpodnet.com forward slash archaeology and subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Google Music Store. That's www.archpodnet.com forward slash archaeology. Now back to the show. And we are back and we are still basically dissecting Indiana Jones and the world that the films created. And Jeb, you wanted to point out some realism that is in the movies that got remixed to create a more dramatic effect. Yeah. So one of the things that people talk about, like when I, when I've explained my book and I'm like, Oh, this is where all these ideas come from. Everybody, a lot of people I know go, well, do they come from the movies? I'm like, no, (laughs) no, no, the movies come from us. Now I'll talk about that larger sense. Let's talk about something smaller. If you had to, if you were to, parody Indiana Jones, probably the scene you would use, is the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's in South America, and he's in this temple, or whatever it is, and he's going after this golden idol. And it is the quintessential archaeology in pop culture scene. It really is. And now, first off, that is heavily based on a movie starring Charlton Heston called Secret of the Incas from 1954. And the character has the hat, he's got the leather jacket, he kind of looks like him, and there's a scene, there's another scene in that movie that's also probably an inspiration, but in this scene, there's a shaft of light, there's Inca architecture. I mean, it is clearly the inspiration for this scene. And if you go read those transcripts, they talk about this. Um, but I actually, in my course, Culture, Art, and Artifact, here, I break that scene down. So I have, I have my students watch it. Not all of them have seen it. Most, About half of them have seen it. I actually loaned some of the DVDs to my, my students recently. They were watching it for Anthropology Club. 
And you go through, and what you realize is once they get into the main core part of that scene, most of the things in there are visually or conceptually, usually visually, based on real things. So him and the the guy, Satipo, whatever the name of the character, um, they come in, and there is this wooden framework with a golden whatever in the middle, and it's in a star shape, and it's clearly supposed to be the Aztec sunstone. Like, there's really yes. no question about it. Like, you look at it, you're like, okay, that's the Aztec sunstone. And you only see it for a second. So they put this whole thing in there, you only see it for a second. All of the stonework is clearly supposed to be Inca. It's, it's got the, the irregular polygons that fit together perfectly, and that is taken straight from the scene in Treasury of the Incas. So they're already going to that level of detail. And then as he goes in, you see all the grimacing faces along the walls that, as he finds out, spit darts at you. And, which I've never quite understood the mechanism for that, but... Um, <laughs> or how it spit, still works. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. They, they spit darts at you. One of those is directly modeled on the tenant heads from Chavin de Huantar, an incredibly important subterranean, or, or not subterranean, but enclosed holy site, or semi-subterranean, in northern Peru, where they're kind of supposed to be. So they're doing that. And then you, you go further in, and you get to the main thing. And I show my students this picture, and there's like 10 different, or not 10, there's five different things in there. There's these, you barely even see them, but there are these seats covered with like fake moss, or real moss, whatever moss is in the movie, um, that are straight up from seats from Ecuador. Like ritual seats with figures under them. They're, they're modified to look a little creepier, but that's clearly what they're based on. Um, the walls, in addition to having the Inca-style architecture, also have more scary faces on them, and they are directly taken from Tiwanaku. They are directly taken from the archway of the sun, uh, or the gate of the sun, the gateway of the sun, from Tiwanaku in Bolivia. So that's clearly an influence. And you then have in the middle this raised dais, and on that are Maya star signs. They are Maya hieroglyphs. They are star signs. I wondered what those were when I looked at those. That's that's what they are. That's right. what they are. And then the there may be Tlaloc's in the middle. I'm not certain about that. But right on top are um, uh, Maya, they're Venus or star glyphs or star glyphs. And then the gold idol is actually based on a real object. It's it's a Tlazoteotl in the Dumbarton Oaks Museum of Harvard University, but in in uh, Washington, D.C. And I may try to go see it uh, during the essays next year, but I think I want to do that now. Um, and it's a real object. However, it is a 19th century fake. Uh, see, uh, one, saw... it stylistically looks unreal. Well, no, I mean, it, there's been... There's been there's been scanning electron microscopy on it that shows it was made with 19th century tools. Ah, okay. Well, because the, of course, apparently I'm finding out that this factoid thing is not this factoid as it said it was. The the trivia track on the movie on Amazon said that that is actually a replica of a sacred fertility goddess, and it is the image of a woman squatting down and giving birth. Correct. That's what the original is. That, that artifact exists, but it was made in the 19th century, it appears. But yes. it's, okay, so that artifact and, 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 yeah, and it and it may actually be. If I, I think it actually is sourced to the store of Eugene Boban, who is also the source of the crystal skulls. Oh, so he gave us look at all that. Of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they did. They did uh, SEM. They they took positives or, or negatives of several parts of it and compared them with known Mesoamerican, like from actual provenance. And like, no, this is this is made with a machine. Like, there's no, no I think question. That's really I think that's really cool, though, that uh, his his fake fertility goddess makes it into the first movie, <laughs> and his fake crystal skulls make up the, from the last... same source. Yeah, exactly. Make up. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. You got to give that guy some credit now. What's What's really cool, though, is Jeff pointing out that these individual elements are based on real thing, right? Or real fake things, but the overall universe, the overall world, there they they create in the movies is a pastiche because you've got yeah. Inca stuff, you've got Aztec stuff, you've got Maya stuff, and it's, you know, you've talked before about the compression of time. Yeah. That there's the modernity and then the, the past gets compressed into Antiquity. this mythic time. Yeah. Right. So it, 
it's kind of like that, both both in terms of time, because you have these cultures very often are different time periods, but they're all compressed into one, and they're geographically and culturally separate, and yet they become they become just iconic for spooky antiquity, especially in the New World. And that's it. Can Jeb and Sarah succumb to the curse of Kalima by breaking the first rule of archaeology, which is you don't talk about Indiana Jones. Just kidding. This is Chris Webster, the founder and president and editor and poster and pretty much everything else of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Um, I came in because they had a few problems. Um, there were some Skype issues, and the last few minutes of the conversation was lost. But we think you get the idea. Please leave a comment and tell us what you think about Indiana Jones. For me, I'd like to know who would be a good Neil deGrasse Tyson-type spokesperson for archaeology. That's what we really need. Anyway, please head over to the membership site at arcpodnet.com slash members to support these shows and get some free stuff in the meantime. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks for listening, and the crew will be back in two weeks with another great episode. That is if they can break the curse, escape the catacombs, hope and pray that there aren't any snakes, and find their way to a microphone and a computer. We'll call, no we don't do a dinosaur. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archaeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www archaeologypodcastnetwork.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com